the decline. We often see people not treating each other with a kind of respect that was very common just a few years ago. Uh, we see the younger generation with a lack of respect for the older generation. In fact, the younger generation doesn't seem to even have a, a respect for gener- their own people in their own generation. There's a very, very definite lack of respect in our uh, school systems. We have many teachers here that have to deal with respect on an everyday basis or the lack of respect on an everyday basis. We have a lack of respect for our government. We have a lack of respect for our flag. We have a lack of respect for our police force, a lack of respect for our military. There is, in general, just a lack of respect that we have brewing in this nation. And my fear is that as we are contaminated by the thoughts of the people of our country, that eventually it's going to infiltrate the church that Jesus Christ died for And people like us are going to have a lack of respect for the Bible or a lack of respect for God Himself. My intent this morning, for just a few short minutes, is to build up in you the knowledge of the kind of respect that we are supposed to have for God. It's going to hopefully cause you to not only want to respect God to the very highest power that you're able to obtain, but to encourage the people that you are around, influence the people that you are around, to go in a respectful direction rather than a disrespectful direction, most especially in the presence of God. Work ourselves into a respectful place as far as God is concerned. In Revelation chapter 4, I got a little ahead of myself there. In Revelation chapter 4, I want, to, I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Uh, the book of Revelation is a very interesting book. A lot of people are keenly interested in knowing what the book of Revelation contains. Uh, I am often asked to teach classes in someone's home. Uh, and all, most of the time when I say absolutely, what would you like to study, the answer comes back to the book of Revelation. It seems to be one of those books that captivates our imagination, that captivates our minds, that one of the books that we, we want to have answers to as we know how things unfold in that book. The problem is that the book of Revelation is not the very best book for you to study a first. It's a book that needs a foundation laid. It's a book that needs to be piled upon all of the things that the Scriptures do say so that you can have the, a proper understanding of God's Word and glean from the book of Revelation what God wants us to get out of the book of Revelation. But it is a very interesting book to study. In Revelation chapter 1, we have kind of a foundation laid by John the Apostle and the information that we're going to receive in the book of Revelation. So in chapter 1, we kind of get ready to see the information that Revelation is going to give us. In chapters 2 and 3, the inspired writer records seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches of Asia. In those Chapters 2 and 3, those seven letters go out uh, basically to correct problems 
that those churches of Christ were dealing with in the first century to make them see that they need to make some adjustments in the way that they're doing things or to have them stop doing things that they're doing or to have them repent of things that they have done wrong. But chapters 2 and 3 lead them in a direction for them to get back in a right relationship with God if they will only listen to the letters that Jesus wrote to those seven churches of Asia. But when we get to chapter 4, the scene changes. In chapter 4, we actually get into the vision that John received, the information that John received that he gives to us through that recorded, inspired information. And as chapter 4 begins, it has what I like to refer to as the throne room scene. We actually get a glimpse into heaven to see what heaven is like, to see what heaven is all about, and listen to the way that the inspired apostle records what he saw when that window of heaven was open. Let's call it the curtain of heaven was pulled back and the Apostle John was allowed to see into heaven and this is what he recorded in that vision as he saw God in heaven in Revelation chapter 4 beginning with verse 1. John records, After this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So a door was open, a window was open, the curtains were pulled back to allow John to see into heaven. And what did John see? In verse 2 it says, And remember, I was in the Spirit, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne." That's why I call it the throne room scene. John had the door of heaven open so he could look into heaven, and what he saw was the great God of heaven and earth sitting upon the throne. Now, hold your finger, if you will, in Revelation chapter 4, and I'm going to have you turn to another passage of Scripture. In fact, the, the passage of Scripture that was read just a few moments ago by Henry from Isaiah, but I want you to think as we go back to Isaiah about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I appreciate Brother Joe leading that song, Holy, 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 just before the sermon because that song has incorporated into it many of the points that we are going to look at this morning in this lesson so him leading that song, us singing that song, Holy, 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 was a good precursor to the information that we're going to look at today. But I want you to begin our study by implanting in your minds, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. Remember, we're talking about reverence. We're talking about respect. We're talking about exalting God as high as He can be exalted in our minds. Holy, holy, holy. Now, holiness is defined as a defining characteristic of God. Uh, it is one of the, the greatest characteristics that we have concerning God. 
And it was emphasized perhaps above all other attributes or all other characteristics in the Old Testament. This was something that the Old Testament truly brought to light or truly brought forth uh, as it unfolds is the holiness of God. There were a lot of good things brought up in the Old Testament about God, but the holiness of God was one of those attributes that always seemed to shine forth. Now let's read again Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Christ in a vision that he was given, a throne room scene where God Almighty was sitting upon a throne and it's described as high and lifted up, trying to show the the great majesty that the God of heaven was to have. Not only was He sitting on a high and lifted up throne, but the train or His clothing filled the throne room. This is another indication of how uh, great the God is, how great our God is, was that He was sitting on a high and exalted throne and the clothing that He wore, the train that He had trailing behind Him, filled up the throne room. That's the vision that Isaiah had as he records this. Now look at verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. Each had six wings. With twain He covered His face. With twain He covered His feet. And with twain He did fly. Now, seraphim are an order of angels that were uh, around the throne of God. A special order of angels that we only find around the throne of God. They are depicted as having six wings, two covered their face, two covered their feet, and they flew with two. So, I want you to picture a high and lofty throne with the with a great God of heaven setting upon it, His clothing filling the whole auditorium, if you will, and then angels circling Him, each having six wings flying around Him. But they weren't just flying, they were doing something. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. We have a throne room scene taken from Isaiah chapter 6 that has God Almighty sitting on a high and lifted throne, His clothing so gracious, so great, that it filled the throne room with angels flying around Him saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Oh, the respect they had. Oh, the honor that they showed. And oh, the reverence that we should glean from such a vision as this. Hundreds of years before Christ was born. Hundreds of years before the book of Revelation was written. But God was exalted. God was held high. Now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 4. Hopefully, you kept your finger there. If we continue to read in chapter 4, we get to verse 8, and notice how close 
verse 8 ties in with what Isaiah had to say. And the four beasts, each of them six has, uh, has each six of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rested not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now, in your minds, go back to Isaiah chapter 6. It said there the seraphim, but didn't give us a number. The angels were flying around the throne of God, but when John records this in Revelation chapter 4, he tells us that there are four beasts that he calls them, but these are the angels, the seraphim, that are flying around the throne of God in heaven, and they are saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Now look at the next verse, verse 9. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. The angels in heaven, the special classification that the Bible calls seraphim, the angels that were assigned to the throne of God, constantly forever and ever gave Him honor and glory and praise. Oh, what we can glean from that as mere human beings. The honor, the glory, the praise that we should give Him in this finite condition that we are in. What a beautiful thing this should paint. What a beautiful picture this should paint in our minds. The next verse says, The four and twenty elders fell down before Him that sat on the throne and worshipped Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, This is a vision that you can add to now because you have what the Bible describes as twenty-four elders in the throne room, around the throne of God, that thought the God that was sitting on that throne was so exalted, so high in their minds, that they are classified as elders, yet they fall down before Him and are so humbled before Him that they take off their crowns, they take off that piece of clothing that would separate them or exalt them as individuals, and they cast those crowns before the throne of God realizing their unworthiness in His presence. How much respect should He get from us? How much reverence should the God of heaven get from us if the angels won't stop praising Him and those that are classified as elders in the throne room fall down before Him and even remove their own crowns not to take from the glory of God. Oh, the reverence, the awe, the majesty that He deserves in our minds. It truly is something special. Verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, this is what the four and twenty elders are saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things for Thy pleasure, and they, uh, pleasure they are and were created. Everything that was created was created by God and for God. We need to honor Him. We need to praise Him. We need to glorify Him 
And more than anything else, brethren, we need to reverence and respect Him. And we need to teach the next generation that they need to reverence and respect Him. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. Reverence for God. The God we worship is beautiful. I know that the God we worship is beautiful because the Bible says that the God we worship is beautiful. You know, we live in a world where there are a lot of gods with a small g. There are a lot of different kinds of gods with a small g being worshipped in the world in which we live. And many of these gods that are carved out of uh, wood by men or made out of some kind of precious metal by men or contrived in the minds of men are anything but beautiful particularly to us in the Western world. They just don't make sense to us, some of them. Uh, we, we see some of these things that some people fall down before and we are puzzled, not only that they would ignore the great God of heaven, but they would devise a God with a small g to worship that is even a little bit strange or fearful in the construction. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. We could, we could do this all morning, but I'm going to give you a couple of examples for you to look at to, to bring to mind what I'm talking about. This is a Hindu god. It has three heads, four arms. Uh, to me, that's troubling. This is another Hindu god that's got an elephant head, four arms. It's got human feet sticking out from the bottom of the clothing there, so I'm not really sure what's going on, but this is, this is something that the Hindu people actually worship. Four arms and feet like a human, head like an elephant. I'm not sure what the body's supposed to represent, but this is a Celtic god, carved from wood. This is a Norse god. This is an Aztec god, the Aztec built a god with a tongue sticking out, I suppose, to make it fierce. And we even recognize the idea of the Polynesian gods. And we will not call them tiki gods, but they were designed to be fierce. They had the tongue sticking out, just like the Aztec one had the tongue sticking out in order to try to intimidate or to strike fear in to someone else. But this is a, a, a smattering, an example of what people have created for themselves to worship. These would be classified as gods with a small g, but the God we worship is a God that is beautiful. Now, Psalm chapter 27 and verse 4. One thing have I desire of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold, notice, the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. The beauty of the Lord is what the inspired writer talked about. The God we worship is beautiful. In Psalm 90 and verse 17, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
After generations of bondage in the land of Egypt, Jehovah allowed the Hebrew people to be released from that land to go off in the direction of the promised land. They had been under the servitude of Egypt. They had been under the taskmasters of Egypt for generations. They were finally free from those problems in Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, Moses wrote a song of praise regarding Jehovah's beautiful holiness. In fact, if you have a Bible that has uh, captions over the paragraphs or captions at the top of the page, and you turn to Exodus chapter 15, it's going to say the song of Moses. He wrote a song describing his thankfulness to the beautiful mercy of God as they left the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11 reads, Who is like unto thee, O God, among the gods? Now that has to be kept in context because they're just now leaving the land of Egypt, which was a land that was full of gods with a small g. Yet God's magnificence, God's power, God's strength triumphed over all of those gods in Egypt. The gods of the Egyptians could not compare to the God of the Hebrew people. And Moses is reminding everyone who reads this that God of heaven, the Jehovah God, triumphed over all the gods with a small g. How much should we reverence a God like that? How much should we revere a God like that? How much should we respect a God like that who is greater than all the gods? He deserves our respect. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 6, For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Jeremiah agreed with the psalmist who agreed with David who hopefully agrees with you. Our God is great. Our God is great. Now, the New Testament tantalizingly hints that God's beauty might be available for some of us some great day. I love this because there's hope for us ugly people. Some of you don't have to worry about this. You were born beautiful and you've gone through this life beautiful. But some of us have struggled for years. And the New Testament hints that we've got hope, brethren. We've got hope. <laughs> Let me show you what I'm talking about. In John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, John wrote, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it, is, uh, it doth, yet, not yet, doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We shall be like Him. And we've already looked at a number of passages of Scripture that said God is beautiful. If we're going to be like Him... Yes, we're going to be spirit. But we have an opportunity to be beautiful like God if we respect and reverence Him on this earth. Oh, the beauty that awaits us.
to be like God, not just a spirit, but to be beautiful like God because we chose to honor Him while we were here on this earth. Where we come, uh, when we come to know God, we will naturally praise Him for who He is. The more we know about the Scriptures, the more exalted God should be in our minds, the more we will want to do what He asks of us, the more we're going to want to be uh, His children and show people that we are His children. It should be normal for us to stand in awe of God. Let us give Him the awe that He deserves. You know, it's nothing for us to stand before a mountain and be in awe of the beauty, the grandeur, the ruggedness of that mountain. Some of you have just got back from the Smoky Mountains. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And unless I miss my guess while you were there in the beauty of the Smoky Mountains, you stood at least part of the time absolutely in awe of what you were looking at. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Every day almost here on the peninsula of Florida in the summertime, we have to deal with the power, the awe of summer storms. Our friends in Texas have been dealing with a tremendous storm for the last couple of days. And it looks like they're going to have to deal with that storm for a couple of more days. I checked with one of our former members, the Bourne family, uh, just this morning, and they're doing fine in, th in their location, but they are expected to be flooded out there before long, but nothing has happened out of the ordinary yet other than rain. In fact, they still even have power on at their house, and that's a blessing. But those people in Texas, I am sure, are in awe of the power of a storm like Harvey. If we can stand before a mountain and are in awe, if we can observe a storm and be in awe, why shouldn't we stand in awe of the Creator of all things? How much more should we be in awe of the Creator of all things? Stand with reverence and respect before God. Oh, what a blessing it is to know what God wants of us. Now, I want to deal with the word reverend just for a moment. Psalm chapter 111 and verse 9 says, Holy and reverend is His name. Just so you'll know this, that is the only time the word reverend is used in the entire Bible. It's not used anywhere else. It's only used one time, and it was used in reference to God. It was used in reference to Jehovah. And that's important for us to know. Humans are not always... Uh, humans are to always hold sacred His holy name. He was the one that was called reverend. And we are to honor His holy name. No man in his right mind should ever take reverend as a title for himself. Why would we even want to apply to ourselves a title that the Bible only gives to the great and powerful God of heaven? Why would any man want to do that? Why would we want to do that to any man? 
that word, that name, that designation is reserved for holy, 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 our Lord God Almighty, the one that sits on the throne with the angels circling him, with the four and twenty elders falling before him, that who is reverend and not us. Not us. Don't make the mistake of calling someone reverend if you're not going to call God reverend. It is most disrespectful to Jehovah and very presumptuous for any human being to attach, associate the idea of reverend to someone like us. It's saved reserve for Jehovah God. Holy, holy, holy is His name. We must have the greatest respect for Jehovah God. We must honor Him and each other and teach each other to honor Him. We will not be counted guiltless if we take His name in vain. In fact, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7, it's even recorded, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh His name in vain. We can't expect God to not hold it against us if we take a title or a designation that was given to Him and we apply it to us. Oh, how we have to be careful. We need to reverence God. We need to respect God. It is blasphemous. God must be reverenced. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The respect we have for God and His holy name is reflected on how we honestly handle His inspired Word. How honestly do we handle His inspired Word? Do you respect God enough to change your life? Do you respect God's Word enough to allow it to control what you do in your spiritual direction on this earth? Do you allow the Word of God to have the influence on you to become a child of God through obedience to His Word? You know, God... Makes, makes us understand through His Word that we must be people that are willing to repent. We must be willing to see our misdirections, realize that we can't please the God of heaven if we continue in those misdirections, and make the decision to turn our lives around and commit ourselves to serving God through what the New Testament teaches us. Jesus Himself said in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Turning our lives around, showing the proper respect for God's Word by allowing it to control our lives is one of the ways we demonstrate to the great God of heaven that we do love Him and we respect His Word. Not only that, but people need to be baptized for the remission of their sins. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, a question was posed by the, the people that were in the city of Jerusalem. Men and brethren, what must we do? They wanted to know how to get right in the sight of God. 
Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 says, answering that question, how do I get right before God? The answer was, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. That was the answer in Acts chapter 2, and dear friends, that is still the answer today. People can only reverence God, respect God by obeying Him, and part of that obedience is being baptized for the remission of sins. That means going down into the watery grave of baptism in the likeness of Jesus' burial to come up out of that watery grave in the likeness of Jesus' resurrection to walk as a new creature. That's John chapter 6, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. We are, we are imitating the, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our baptism. The Apostle Paul was asked a question in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. Ananias said, And why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins. Oh, how we need to show reverence to the great God of heaven. God Almighty, by properly obeying the Scriptures in order to obtain the salvation that He wants us to have. Do you respect Him enough to leave behind the life you're living and become His child through obedience, being added to the church that His Son died for? I hope that you do. I hope that you have the kind of reverence for God that will cause you to move in a direction in your life that will demonstrate the respect and the reverence you have. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He was, He is, and He is to be. How much do you respect God? Do you respect Him enough to obey Him now, as together we stand and sing.